Scripture tells us in many places uh, how we are to be when we pray. Sometimes it tells us to kneel. Sometimes it tells us to lay on the ground with our face in the dust. Sometimes it tells the men of the church to raise holy hands in prayer to God as we pray. So I'd like all of you, please, to stand with me. And as we pray together this morning, men, would you please join me in raising hands to God and calling on his name? Let's pray. Father, we praise your name for your work. We praise your name for your work in men like Andrew. And I know, Lord, that your work in Andrew is not unique. You take proud men like me and like every man standing here. And you take us and you show us our own sinfulness and our weakness and your own power and glory and greatness. And you humble us and you break us. And then, Lord, you start to use us. And we praise your name for that. And I pray, Lord, for men, for all of us here who are standing and for the women, for the children, for the young people, for all of us, Lord, please do your work in us just like you've begun that work in Andrew and make us humble men and women and children. And Lord, as as you do that work in us, we call out on you. We call out to you to meet our needs and to do what you've promised to do. We're in your hand. Our life is in your hand, our bodies, our souls, our futures, everything. And so I ask you, Lord, for everyone here who has sin that they're struggling with, that, that seems like it will never let go of them, I pray, Lord, that you'd give power and strength and grace to help in the time of need for them. I pray for those who are brokenhearted because of people who've sinned against them, or because of circumstances of life in a fallen world, and I pray that you would draw near to them and give them grace and strength. I pray for those who are facing difficult things that they have to do, and I pray that you'd strengthen them. I pray for those, Lord, who are looking ahead to things like marriage or new babies coming, and I pray that you would give them everything they need to walk with you, to love you, to love their neighbor, to love their husband, their wife, their children. Lord, we call on you for all these things. And Lord, now we call on you that you would draw near to us in your word and let your word be the voice that we hear today. That it would drown out all other competing voices and competing messages, no matter how loud they are, and that we would hear your word and have soft hearts to Obey it and to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> uh, before I begin, I wanted to say a couple of things about this, this um, counseling training course that keeps getting announced. Um, by the way, if you're here visiting with us this morning, um, I welcome you. It's good to see some new faces out there. I hope we get to know you. Um, let me see. What does it say in the bulletin? It says, uh, I know it's in here. Yeah, personal biblical discipleship training course. <laughs> um, that, that's a mouthful and it sounds pretty heavy. Uh, or else, uh, you know, biblical counseling or biblical discipleship. 
really my intention for us as we do this course together is um, two things, really. Number one, to help all of us understand that all of us, if we have God's word and the Holy Spirit, we have what God requires of us to help one another biblically, to help each other. And number two, just to give you some basic understanding of, of what our problems are and how Scripture addresses them and how you can address your own problems through the gospel and how you can help others. Um, so if you ask yourself, well, you know, I see this. It says personal biblical discipleship training course. Sounds heavy. Uh, who should who should come to this? Well, um, are you uh, are you a small group leader? Uh, are you a Sunday school teacher? Are you an elder or a deacon? Uh, are you a husband or a father? I gotcha. Are you a, a wife or a mother? Uh, are you a woman in the church who has anyone in the church, another woman who's younger than you in the church? Um, are you a human being who has any kind of relationship with any other human being? Including yourself. Well, that's those are the people who should come. So please register for that. I know we have a tendency to register at the last minute. So please do this so we can have food for you on uh, Saturday for lunch. That's the 17th and 18th of August. Uh, actually, much of what I have to say this morning relates to some of the things I'll be telling you in that course. Uh, I, a while ago, I found an article by a man named David Paulison called The Therapeutic Gospel, and I circulated that article to some of you, I think especially to the Pastors College men, and I hope you read it. And if you did read it, um, you're going to hear me say some things that sound a lot like what he said. So I wanted you to know that so I'm not um, being plagiaristic, right? And actually, the things I have to say this morning, some of you... Um, and I don't know who, but I'm sure that some of you will be offended by some of the things I say to you. And that's why I prayed earlier uh, that the word of God would be the voice that we hear this morning and that it would drown out all other voices, no matter how loud they are, because some of the things that I'm going to be talking about are things that are promoted in our culture with very loud voices. And if we let that drown out the word of God, then we will not be faithful to him, either in our own lives or in our proclamation of the gospel to other people. So please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 6. And I'll be reading for you verses 13 through 17. Jeremiah six thirteen. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking in his context to the nation of Israel, the people of the city of Jerusalem, who God has said are about to be destroyed by a foreign army. Now listen to what he says. He says, for from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. I'm convinced that one of the most fundamental issues facing us as Christians in this country today is a gospel that heals people superficially. Now, Adam Spady, Adam, would you just stand up for a second? In fact, I'm going to do something uh, that I didn't ask you, but would you please come here? If I would have asked him, he would have said no. Just come up here for a second. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Adam um, is a doctor, and I want you to tell us what kind of doctor you are. I'm a doctor of internal medicine, and that means that I take care of pretty much any problem that adults face that doesn't require surgery. So that's a lot of things. Now, uh, what's the most important part of the process of helping people? And I, ha- I don't know what he's going to say. I hope he says what I think he's going to say. <laughs> um, asking the right questions and listening carefully to the answers. So that you can what? Figure out what's going wrong with them or how they need help. Okay. So making the diagnosis is the most important thing. That's what I hoped he'd say. Making the diagnosis. <laughs> it's another way of saying what I said. Uh, why do you need to make a good diagnosis, an accurate diagnosis? Um, well, because then the treatment depends on the diagnosis. And uh, almost no treatment is completely benign. So if you end up treating the wrong thing, you can do a lot of damage. Okay. Good. That's what I hope you'd say. Thank you. <clears throat> so did you get that? The most important thing is an accurate diagnosis. Because if you misdiagnose and if you prescribe a cure different than what the diagnosis, uh, you know, the the symptoms really call for, then you could kill someone. So if I say, okay, I think you're I think you have uh, I think your tonsils need to come out when actually it's your it's your appendix that needs to come out. You're going to die. The the diagnosis. I hope Adam would never do that. The diagnosis drives the cure. So you have to get the diagnosis right or else you will get the cure wrong. The prescription. Okay, good. Well, that's exactly what we have in the church today. What we have is doctors prescribing treatments, but their treatments are superficial. They don't do the real job of healing people. In fact, ultimately, they hurt people because they misdiagnose the problem. So the cure that they write out for them is deadly. Because they consistently misdiagnose the real problem. They put the proverbial band-aid on the spiritual cancer because they don't believe that cancer even exists. They have a superficial cure because they have a a superficial diagnosis of the problem and of the sickness of men. That's exactly what we just read about from Jeremiah. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. 
God is speaking about religious leaders here. He's talking about the prophets and the priests. The prophets were supposed to speak to the people from God. They hear the word of God and speak to the people. The priests were to stand and speak to God on behalf of the people. That was the job of these leaders. But these men, they turn their back on God and they speak lies to the people and they completely mislead the people about what their real problems are. And you see this all over the place in the New Testament. Time after time after time, God says, the prophets are saying, don't worry about it. Everything's okay. Everything's going to be all right. You're fine. When in reality, the judgment of God was hanging like a sword ready to fall. He says over and over again, things like, you are, you are people who, who have a wall. You build a wall out of mud and brick and stone. And the wall is faulty. The wall is going to crumble. But you just cover it over with whitewash. That's what he says in the book of Ezekiel. You whitewash the wall. Making the wall look fine. Hiding the corruption and the brokenness and the weakness inside of it. Making it all look good. And he says, in the end, that wall is going to fall and it's going to crush you. And when God speaks this way, he doesn't just speak to the prophets and the teachers and the priests who say these things to the people. He says in Jeremiah 14, he says, the people also to whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets. It's not just the teachers. We like to think. Well, it's certainly true that the teachers have a stricter judgment, but we like to think that's as far as it goes. God says, no, the people who want to hear what those teachers are saying are also liable to judgment from God. This is a theme all over the place in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, here's my question. Can anyone deny that this is the case with many of the leaders of Christianity in America today, with many of us who want to hear what those leaders are saying? Let me explain what I mean. Here's, here's the diagnosis. When you, when you have a sickness, you have symptoms. Those are the outward signs. And then Adam, you come to Adam, you say, look, I, I got a pain right here. And he says, OK, let me ask you some questions. Let me figure out what's wrong with you. Then he makes a diagnosis. And then after he makes the diagnosis, he writes a prescription for what he thinks will cure you. So let's start with some of the symptoms. And here's what some people say today. Um, OK, let's let's deal with the problem of sexual sin. Or uh, you can put any kind of easier name on it, sexual acting out. That's, that's one of the common things that we call it these days. We don't want to call it sin. Um, okay, here's the symptom, sexual sin. I know why you're falling into sexual sin. Here's the diagnosis that you'll hear often. You're falling into, into sexual sin because you need to feel loved for who you are. You weren't loved enough as a child. You need to feel loved for who you are. Uh, you need uh, to be pitied for what you've gone through. You need to feel intimately understood and to be to be accepted unconditionally. That's what you need. 
That's what you don't have. That's the diagnosis. And this is something that you hear all the time. Or how about this? You're angry. You're dealing with someone who's angry. I know why you're angry. The symptom is anger. I know why you're angry. Here's the diagnosis. Here's what the real problem is. Your real problem is that you need a sense of personal significance and meaningfulness. You need to be successful in your career. You need to be uh, um, have a life that matters. You need to have impact in your life. And so you're frustrated, so you're angry at all the people around you. That's what's wrong with you. Or maybe... Um, You're addicted to something. You're addicted to drugs or to alcohol or to food or to TV or to movies or to shopping or to whatever. You're addicted to something. Pornography. Um, That's the symptom. And so the diagnosis is, I know what's wrong with you. You need to gain self-esteem. You need to affirm that you're all right. You're okay. You need to be able to assert your own opinions and your own desires. Then you'll be okay. Sadly, none of what I've just said sounds strange to you. This is what Christian leaders are telling us. Influential Christian leaders are telling you this. James Dobson is a name that if you're a Christian, you've heard before. Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard him on the news James Dobson diagnoses your problems like this. Let me just read some quotes. Bear with me and listen. He says, Feelings of inferiority even even account for the outbreak of wars and international hatred. Okay, so symptom, wars, international hatred, diagnosis, feelings of inferiority. That's the problem. He says, Inferiority is the major force behind the rampaging incidents of rape today. The problem with rape is that uh, the men committing rape are inferior. They don't have enough self-esteem. How about aggressive violence in American classrooms? Can it be attributed to the frustration of low self-esteem? I'm inclined to believe so, he says. The examples are legion. That is why I have contended that social chaos. Now, listen to me and make sure you understand what I'm actually saying. I'm not making this up. He says social chaos in all its forms is increased. When citizens feel inadequate and inferior, there are numerous other causes, of course, but none so powerful. He has made a diagnosis. Let me read something else that he says. He says, the matter of personal worth is not only the concern of those who lack it. In a real sense, the health of an entire society depends. Now, listen to me. He says the health of an entire society depends on the ease with which its individual members can gain personal acceptance. Thus, whenever the keys to self-esteem are seemingly out of reach for a large percentage of the people, as in 20th century America, then widespread mental illness, neuroticism, hatred, alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, and social order will certainly occur. Okay, so he looks at the symptoms of our culture. Mental illness, neuroticism, hatred, alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, social disorder. Those are the symptoms. And he says, the diagnosis 
the reason for those symptoms, what's underlying those symptoms on the surface, what's underneath it, low self-esteem. Personal worth, he says, is not something humans are free to take or leave. We must have it. And when it is unattainable, everybody suffers. We'll come back to that in a minute. Here's another diagnosis that is often made today, very popularly. You're restless. You men, especially, you're restless. You're, you're impatient. You're, you're grumpy. Because you need a sense of adventure and excitement and action and passion. That's what you need. What is happening here? The church has bought in to lies. Blatant lies. The church has bought into lies about why people do what they do. The church has bought into lies about what people really need. The church has bought into lies about what the gospel actually is and what the gospel actually does. Because once you buy into a certain diagnosis, as Adam just said, once you buy into a certain diagnosis, you are forced to a certain remedy. The remedy depends on what diagnosis you make. If the diagnosis is that you need to be loved unconditionally just as you are, then what is the remedy? Well, the remedy has to be unconditional love. That's what you need. And if the remedy is unconditional love, then that must be what the gospel is all about. God gives you unconditional love. That's the gospel. He accepts you just as you are. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Is the gospel that he accepts you just as you are? Is it? No. The gospel is much better than that. The gospel is that he accepts you just as Jesus Christ, his perfect son, is. It's called justification by faith alone. Big term. All that it means is he accepts you just like Jesus is. Perfect. Much better than unconditional positive regard. And he accepts you with an agenda to change you, to make you eventually just like Jesus is for real. That's the gospel. Or here's another diagnosis. If the diagnosis is that you need a sense of personal significance, then the gospel, the, the cure that you apply to that sickness must be about God making much of you. You don't have enough significance. Oh, but no, wait, the gospel says that you're very important and special. So you tweak the gospel to fit the diagnosis. Or if the diagnosis is that you need more self-esteem and self-love, then the gospel must be about God affirming how wonderful you are. Now, I read a minute, a minute ago from Dr. Dobson. Let me read something else that he says, because I read the diagnosis. But let me tell you the cure that he prescribes. What remedy do you think he prescribes? He says the diagnosis for literally every evil of society is low self-esteem. That's the diagnosis. 
the prescription has to fit, doesn't it? So listen to what he says. He even puts it in these terms, in, in these medical kinds of terms. He says, if I could write a prescription for the women of the world, this is, this quote comes from a book about women. That's why he's talking specifically about women here. If I could write a prescription for the women of the world, it would provide each one of them with a healthy dose of humility and repentance and the word of God and the free grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, no, that's not what he says. If I could write a prescription for the women of the world, it would provide each one of them with a healthy dose of self-esteem and personal worth taken three times a day until the symptoms disappear. I have no doubt. I'm not making this up. He says, I have no doubt that this is their greatest need. Can you imagine? Some of you have bought into that. It's a very loud voice. Let me read another quote from Dobson. The reason I'm choosing him is because he's so visible and so trusted. Listen to what he says. If I had the power to communicate only one message to every family in America. Now, what would you say? If you had the power to communicate only one message to every family in America, what would it be? Listen to what he says. I would specify the importance of romantic love. To every aspect of feminine existence. Now, of course, the problem, one of the many problems with that statement is some of you women are single and maybe always will be in God's providence. Sorry. Sorry. The one thing you need, you can't get. Sorry. He says it provides romantic love provides the foundation for a woman's self-esteem. All right, one more, one more. Listen to this. He says, feelings of self-worth and acceptance, which provide the cornerstone of a healthy personality, can be obtained from only one source. Self-esteem is only generated by what we see reflected about ourselves in the eyes of other people. It is only when others respect us that we respect ourselves. It is only when others love us that we love ourselves. It is only when others find us pleasant and desirable and worthy that we come to terms with our own egos. I have no idea what that means. Coming to terms with your own ego. But evidently it's extremely important. And ultimately it depends on you. It depends on you respecting, honoring me, seeing me as worthy. Again, <laughs> that's bad news, isn't it? Really bad news. Ultimately. So this is Dobson's gospel. What about another diagnosis that I mentioned to you? If the diagnosis is that you need a sense of adventure and excitement, then the gospel must be about God freeing you to live wild at heart. Right? Diagnosis, cure. And so John Eldridge can say this. About the core of the gospel. This is what he says about the core of the gospel in his book, Wild at Heart. The core of Christ's mission is foretold in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because 
The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners. So far, so good. And here's what he says. He says, the Messiah will come, he says, to bind up and to heal, to release and to set free. What? Your heart. Christ comes to restore and release you, your soul, the true you. This is the central passage in the entire Bible about Jesus. It's about you. It's about him freeing you to be yourself. That's the central core of the, of the message and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, that's funny because I thought that Jesus came to save me from my sin. I thought that he came to change my heart, not to give me the freedom to live out of my heart as it is. So what God says in Jeremiah is absolutely, absolutely the case with this version of the gospel today. What Jeremiah says, what God says, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially. It's exactly why God says through the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, many of you will know this passage, he says, I solemnly charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, this is serious business, in other words, I solemnly charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? He says, for the time will come. And I tell you, the time is here right now when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, writers, speakers, radio personalities, psychologists in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths, myths like what you need is more self-esteem. Do you think that, that this has nothing to do with us today? It's exactly what he's talking about. This is where we are. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially. We have accumulated for ourselves teachers in accordance with our own desires. We want to hear that the gospel is actually about us. It's actually about me having my desires met. And so this gospel is no gospel at all. It's no good news at all. Because this new gospel does not call for any fundamental change. It calls for no fundamental change of direction in the human heart. It takes the human heart for granted as it is and shapes the gospel to fit it. My problems come from being needy. And so we bend the gospel to serve our needs or our desires. And Jesus and the church exist to make you feel loved, to make you feel significant, to make you feel validated, entertained, charged up, adventurous. And yeah, this gospel, this gospel will make you feel better. The people that Jeremiah was talking about, people of the city of Jerusalem, 
who were listening to the prophets who said, peace, peace, don't worry, no famine, no sword, no armies, no war. Everything's going to be fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Do you think they feel, felt better after hearing that message? Of course they did. They felt better until the army was at the gate. Then what? But this cure skips over the sin-bearing Savior altogether. Repentance from unbelief, repentance from willfulness, repentance from wickedness is never the issue. Sinners are not called to a U-turn and to a new life that is really life. This fake gospel pours fuel on the fire of your real problem. It massages your love of self. There's nothing in this gospel, there's nothing in the logic of this gospel to make you love God and to love one another. There's only logic in this fake gospel that will make you love yourself. It won't make you love God. It won't make you love your neighbor. And this might uh, mention the word Jesus. In fact, this, this version of the gospel mentions Jesus all the time. But this Jesus has morphed into the meter of your needs, not the Savior from your sins. He has become the errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires, as Bob Dylan put it so well. The errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires. That's what he is. But absolutely, completely, and utterly contrary to what Dr. Dobson believes and preaches and people like him. Low self-esteem is not the cause of all of your problems. High self-esteem is the real cause of all of our problems. Our problem, your problem, your kid's problem, your neighbor's problem is not that we don't love ourselves enough. It is that we love ourselves too much. It's just so perfectly obvious when you read the Bible. If you don't believe that, then tell me, what in the world does God mean when he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3? Listen to what he says. Verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. What do you think comes from love of self? What kind of sins can you imagine that come from love of self? How about this? Lovers of money? Boastful? Arrogant? Revilers? Disobedient to parents? Ungrateful? Unholy? Unloving? Irreconcilable? Malicious gossips? Without self-control? Brutal? Haters of good? Treacherous? Reckless? Conceited? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? All the ills of society, right? Where does it come from? Men will be lovers of self. That's where it comes from. Every one of those sins. The fountainhead of all of that wickedness is love of self. And yet, we pay people to tell us. We Christians buy millions of dollars worth of books from people who tell us that the real problem is that we don't love ourselves enough.
we're in big trouble. (laughs) According to God, the men who teach such things and the people who want to hear them tickle my ears. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear that I need to love myself more. That's what I really want to hear. Because that's the bent of my sinful human heart already. This teaching completely unhinges the gospel. It completely turns everything on its head. What about the real gospel? The real gospel addresses our real needs. What do you need for real? Well, what you really need is we need mercy and forgiveness above everything else. Why? Because we are rebellious Sinners. We need to learn wisdom and unlearn our stubborn self-preoccupation. Why? Because we're born fools who hate instruction. We need wisdom. We need to learn to love both God and neighbor because we are born enemies of God and murderers of our neighbors. That's what you need. That's the problem. We need to see Christ's glory and loving kindness and goodness because we have thrown him aside and trampled him underfoot in our mad pursuit of a million other glories that we think are more satisfying than him. We need God to change us from who we are by instinct and by choice and by practice. We need God to change what we want, not give us what we want. Because our hearts are deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. We need God to deliver us from our obsessive self-righteousness and our lust for self-vindication because we are born hardwired as legalists who want nothing more than to be right and to be good on our own. And we need God to break it. We need God's powerful help in order to will, in order to want, and to do the things that really last to eternal life. Because we impulsively love only what we can see and touch and taste in this world. We impulsively love a life that will be wasted. We need to learn to respond to God worship, to delight, to trust, to give thanks, to cry out to Him, to take refuge in Him, to hope in Him, because we have all turned away from God and turned to idols and we do it all the time. We need the resurrection to eternal life because we are trapped in bondage to decay. We need God Because He made us for Himself. That's what you need. You need God. And praise His name. This is what the Gospel gives to us. He gives us all of these things that we really need in the Gospel. But it does so by turning our attention away from ourselves, not toward ourselves. It makes the center of everything God, not me. My problem is that I have turned away from God. I have rebelled against God. I have disregarded God as if He is nothing. 
except my errand boy to get me what I want. My problem is not that I failed to esteem myself, it is that I have failed to esteem God. And any cure, any so-called gospel that does not strip you bare before the gaze of a holy God is not a gospel at all. It is not good news because it deals with your, your problems superficially. It doesn't go down deep enough. It leaves you where it finds you. Satisfied with yourself, possessed with yourself, consumed with yourself, relying on yourself, taking your needs for granted and calling on God to give you what you want. And its practitioners and its preachers and its authors and its teachers say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Because there is no peace because there is no repentance. Let me close with the sweet balm, the sweet remedy, the sweet ointment. Of the real gospel. Listen to these words from James chapter 4. Just listen. Listen and let these sink in. And listen how different this is. But God gives a greater grace. This is James 4 verse 6. God gives a greater grace. Therefore it says. God is opposed to the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's what you really need. You need God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, sadness, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. That's the truth. The exact opposite. Exact opposite of what many of us have bought into. Humility. Mourning. Gloom. Exaltation. Listen to these words from Jesus Christ, Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. You want to know the truth of the gospel? Forget about being wise and intelligent and make yourself like a little child, he says. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, not you who... Who, who don't think highly enough of yourself, but those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is no 
rest for your souls unless you come to Jesus Christ and you don't come to him as your errand boy to meet the things to give you the things that you want. You come to him in humility. Have him show you what you really need and have him give it to you because he will. One more passage. Listen to these words. From Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God comes to you. It doesn't give you the, the things that you want. It judges the things that you want. And shows you how wicked they are. And he says, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The gospel comes to you and shows you you are worse than you thought. Even the things that you want, even the things that you think you need are filled with wickedness. Where do you go with that? Listen to what it says. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But one has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You cannot... Come to the throne of grace until you know your need, your real need. And your neediness is not that you don't love yourself, it's that you do love yourself. There's no lifting up without humility, there's no healing without first being pierced by the sword. You cannot receive God's grace until you've been terrified by his wrath. You cannot come to him for refuge until you have been laid bare by his gaze. But that's the good news. The good news is that Jesus knows all about your wickedness. He knows every dark corner of your wickedness and mine. He came and he died so that you could be free from yourself. Not so that you could be enslaved to yourself. He came to save his people from their sins. Not to confirm them in their sins. So come to Him. You are worse than you thought. What you thought was that you didn't love yourself enough. The truth is, you love yourself too much. And you know it's true. You're worse than you thought. And Jesus Christ is bigger and more powerful and more kind and more gracious and more radical of a Savior than you could ever dare to imagine. Because he doesn't just take you where you are, he changes you. If you'll come. Let me pray with you.